one of the ladies that works at the restaurant, she's like, hey, I got a question to ask you. Who's the guy on the shirt? And I was like, that was me. <laughs> she's like, oh. Oh, you're you're staring oh, at him. Yeah, now I see it. <laughs> like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you never saw it. <laughs> but it's like a nice little slow slap reminder of how age, father time, just beats us all eventually. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go, uh, live with another episode of Open Action with John McLean, brought to you by Arms Corps Precision. I'm, of course, your host, John McLean, and this episode, I've got a very good friend of mine. I've known him for a couple years now, and, uh, you know, his history, a little bit of his history, was that at one point he was this raging fashion model doing all sorts of beauty shots. Uh, then eventually he became the president of Eagle Imports, and now he is one of the kind of brain children, co-owning, creating, just powerhouse for an organization called Walk the Talk America, and that guest is Mike Sandini. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. We've been talking about doing this for a while, so it's, it's nice to, to finally be here. I remember when yeah. you were talking about the idea of the show and I was like, you, I kind of like forced myself into the mix and you're like, you'll be on the show one day. Don't worry. Well, because <laughs> so, I was I was on your show. I was on the Walk to Talk America podcast um, and right. I definitely did want to reciprocate. Uh, and I thought that this would be a great, you know, great cross cross platform. Um, not not just marketing, because, you know, it's not entirely why I'm doing this, but uh, I think what walk the talk America is doing and, and the mission that you guys stand for is important enough that, I mean, it needs to be spread. Like the, the message needs to be spread. And that message is that mental health is real. It is something that needs to be addressed. It is something that is actively being ignored. Like distractions and finger pointing is going every other which way, except for where it needs to be for these individuals and stuff. And um, I think you guys are doing a, a really solid job and you've got a great approach of bringing that topic to light. Um, so that was why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Not because I owed you for having me on yours, but I did. I, I do love everything that Walk the Talk America is, has been doing. So um, for those that don't know, why don't you just give a little introduction about yourself outside of what i what i obviously you don't need to talk about your modeling days although i'm gonna bring it up just fyi <laughs> <laughs> we, we can talk um, about my modeling days it seems like many 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 moons ago <laughs> and the listeners that are watching this are probably like yeah right <laughs> <laughs> i've seen some of the pictures and ladies and gentlemen i mean you know I'm not saying, but 20 bucks is 20 bucks. And <laughs> you, you were a hand, you still are, but your modeling pictures definitely make you look out to be like, Oh, uh, I'm just going to go stand over here. Cause I don't think it'd be good for my morale and physical look to be standing directly next to you for comparison. Yeah. So you, on that note though, before we get to dive into the serious stuff, there was a, I, I gotta tell the story cause it's just fantastic. <laughs> So uh, at the time when Adam um, Runula worked for uh, uh, Palmetto, you, you know Big Adam? He works yeah. for Century Arms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was throwing a party for Eagle, and basically Adam 
came up with this idea to take this this photo of one of the magazine covers that I was on, and he he had it printed on a shirt, and uh, he got to the party early, and he had he was passing them out to anybody that showed up to the party, and you know obviously I I was showing up at the party, <laughs> so I'm walking up there and I. I'm with my, my crew of people and I'm, I'm, I see the shirt and I just, I was like, oh my God, it's brilliant. It's so funny. Like everyone's wearing this shirt. End of the night, like one of the ladies that works at the restaurant, she's like, hey, I got a question to ask you. Who's the guy on the shirt? And I was like, that was me. <laughs> she's like, oh, oh. You're, you're staring oh, at him. Yeah, now I see it. <laughs> like, no, you didn't. <laughs> You never saw it, <laughs> but it's like a nice little slow slap reminder of how age father time just be all eventually. <laughs> you know, not many people know this, but I actually did some modeling gigs too for uh, Kenneth Cole. And I also worked at like Abercrombie Fitch and stuff, which like to be an Abercrombie and Fitch employee, you like almost have to be recruited. Right. You know, like, like someone that works for the company has to see you and offer to have you come in and stuff. But um, yeah, I did that for a bit. Um, I was actually one of the few, I, I think I was like one of the first models that Kenneth Cole, the reaction line had ever hired for their shows that they were doing, um, which I was like, wow, that's very flattering. <laughs> but, and I, and I loved their clothes. I loved their fashion, but yeah, now that I'm Kenneth a little bit older and wiser, I look at the price tags and I'm like, mm, why? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's awesome though. We have something in common. That was my, my very first job was the Abercrombie and Fitch catalog. Oh really? Oh yeah. my gosh! No, I, so I wasn't in the catalog. I wasn't that pretty. Uh, I've I've never had <laughs> six packs other than you know like Coors and Miller High Life and stuff in my fridge. Never had a six pack on my body. But um, so yeah. So anyway, uh, we, let, let's look at, let's get to a little bit about who you are and where you're at now, and then explain to people a little bit in in, in more depth about what Walk the Talk America is um, and how that came about. Okay, so um, yeah, obviously we just talked about the modeling thing. So as soon as I got out of modeling, I went to I went uh, I went to work in real estate. Um, and, but my family had always owned Eagle Imports, which was a family business. Well, in two thousand five, I quit modeling in 2000, 2001. Yeah, I did from ninety eight to two thousand one. Went to work in real estate marketing. Um, then came back to my family business because right out of college, I went to Arizona State. I graduated. <laughs> I went into the gun business like immediately, nepotism, right? Like the, it was just assumed I was gonna work for Eagle. Um, but then I had the other gig like fall into my lap. So, you know, kind of broke away from that. And then, you know, I really didn't identify as somebody like as a gun industry person. Um, so it wasn't something that I was really into, uh, you know, it was more like you're gonna work here unless you have a better opportunity doing something else. And modeling was my opportunity to go do something else. <laughs> So um, I eventually came back around in 2005 because it was good for me to kind of go off and work on my own and, and work in other companies and, it, you know, gave me the opportunity to come back and not just be like the glorified secretary that was running around getting people sandwiches. Although at the time, like, I probably should have stayed as a glorified secretary getting people sandwiches. Sometimes you, <laughs> sometimes you don't know how good you have it <laughs> until you start, you know, you want to prove yourself and you want responsibility. And I was kind of like... Oh man, that was a perfect gig. Like all I did was like go to lunch with my family, and <laughs> you know. But, but you I also the think like I also feel like that that probably created more of the man you are now versus if you would have gone that route. Like you you would not be the same person. It was like because I think like you're saying it's it's almost a positive to to get to go out and be like, look, I, I 
I, there's better out there. There's better out there. And then once you get out there, you're like, oh, no, I, I, not. I'm, you know, <laughs> so when you came back, I'm sure you had a different appreciation for what it was because you had seen the other side of the of the mirror. You know, yeah, well, I was I, I know for a fact I was much more valuable to the company coming back after leaving for sure. Mm -hmm. Like there's things that I learned, especially when I was working in the real estate marketing company um, that was a startup. And I, you know, I did that for years, right? Like taking those skills and coming back to them. And then the way I started with Eagle with my families, they made me a, basically a national sales rep. So I was doing rep work as a solo. I mean, for those that in the gun industry, there's rep groups that gun companies hire. And then sometimes they hire their own reps that travel around. I was the only rep. So every two weeks I would pick a new state and I would fly to that state and I would like try to be central and I would go north one day, call on dealers. And we're ta that's talking like the MapQuest days, man. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? <laughs> like yes, just map quest. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I would drive around to gun shops and basically support all of our firearms that we had. Um, and what Eagle imports is, was for the listeners was we were the largest, one of the largest distributors of firearms for companies that didn't have a presence in the United States. So we would, Let's say, for example, you were from Colombia and you, Colombia, you know, in South America, and you had a gun that you wanted to break into the U.S. market. You found someone like Eagle Imports, and basically they would get you into the U.S. market. You had to have a good product, but basically we would buy the product from you. We'd handle your sales, your marketing, your customer service, and your warranty in the U.S. So it was a real turnkey operation and a chance for gun companies to build their brands. And we had brands like Bursa was our bread and butter, which is from Argentina. Grand Power, which is from Slovakia, um, Metro Arms, which is from the Philippines, which is which, which was like Arms Corps pseudo competition. We were never competition, but you know that's how, that's how basically I became close with you guys is because of the connection, you know, from the Philippines of the 1911s, and um, uh, we had a gun out of Spain called SPS, right? It's competition shooting gun, um, but but so that's what we did uh, in 2005. When I came back, since I had left, um, my the person who ran the company was my uncle, and he had a severe stroke, like right out of the chute. When I came back, basically, I got to work with him for about I think eight months, and um, it was really bad. He ended up passing away, and my grandfather, who owned the company, promoted my friend Bill, who had taken my place when I had left years ago to president of the company. Bill and I were super close. So it was kind of funny because when that happened, everyone's like, are you going to be the president of the company? And I'm like, no, Bill's going to be president of the company. And people, you know, people were always trying to start something there. Like, how does that make you feel? And I'm like, it feels great. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm happy for Bill. Bill Bill's, Bill's near and dear to my heart. He's family. Um, and Bill was, was ready to be president. I wasn't ready to be a president at that time of a, a, a big gun company. Right. Um, but anyways, so, you know, fast forward 2009, my grandfather's retired from the business. So basically it's like Bill and I running the show 2009. Bill has a very bad day. Um, and to this day, we still don't know. I mean, we know what happened to him that day to, to, to set it off, to, to trigger him, I suppose. But we didn't know he had suicidal, you know, ideation. And um, he, got a, he got a DUI. Um, and for some reason, 
we don't know if it's because he, you know, I'm only going by what people said, like his sister had picked him up from jail and, and he was kind of like, I won't be able to work in the firearms industry, which, you know, I don't know if he just had bad information, but Dewey's don't get you banned, <laughs> banned from the right. firearms. There, there's, it's a speed bump, but yeah. Yeah, so, you know, he ends up going to our warehouse, uh, gets one of the guns out of the the, uh, the warehouse, the safe, goes back to his house, and uh, takes his own life with it. Um, and it, it was something that, you know, to when people think about suicide, they always think, like, oh, the warning signs. And I'm real quick to make sure whether I'm speaking in front of a, a, of a group of people from the firearms industry or I'm speaking in front of the mental health crowd, because I like to bring it up to them, too. Like, I always try to tell them, we can be aware of signs and we can see things. Yes, there are people that do show signs or they do they do call out or they're trying to, to, to get somebody to talk to them or they, they, they don't really want this. But then there are some people that absolutely it's going to catch you off guard. And they're going to mm. do it, right? And Bill was one of those those uh, cases. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you an example because I want people to understand. I think the listeners need to understand this. The last day I saw him, which you know he that later on that night, you know, uh, it was Memorial Day, right? And I was I lived in, I lived in Vegas, and he lived in New Jersey, where the office was. We were playing basketball. And I had to go because I had to catch a flight. He's like, can you play one more game? I was like, no. And he's like, okay. He's like, did you make your reservations for this, 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 this? As you know, working in the gun industry, there's all kinds of events all year, right? There's the distributor shows. There's these shows. There's all this. I hadn't made any of my reservations. So he got mad at me. He's like, you haven't made any of the reservations of the places we're going to? He's like, you didn't get, like, what are you waiting for? And I, you know, he's like, you better hurry. Like we got, you know, you got to get to hotel rooms. You got to do this, do this. So our last conversation was us talking about our future trips together. Mm. And keep in mind, we had just, we had just spent a lot of time together because there were shows before, you know, us being in Jersey together. Um, so I was with them for like the last month and a half. Um, Never once when we talked about suicide, because we used to talk about suicide in the firearms industry and the way we used to talk about it, we would talk about it in the sense that it's so weird that our industry doesn't talk about the negative outcomes of guns. Like we never hit them head on. Right. It's like I, I, I always bring up the movie Twister um, and the movie Twister was about a big tornado. It was horrible, but, but it's about a big tornado. And there's this scene where they're like, we don't talk about an F5. An F5 was like the strongest tornado there was, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. they're like, we don't talk about an F5. We always used to joke around, like saying that our industry is like that. Like when it came to suicide, we didn't talk about it because we would lose people in the industry. And it was like, you never read about it. You you know, you just heard about it. You didn't, right. like no one talked about it. No one. Um, so for us, like when we would talk about suicide, because we would have all kinds of first responders and vets that used to come by our our booth at Chacho every year. And then sometimes they wouldn't be there the next year. And we'd find out that, you know, they took their own life. Mm, it's kind of, yeah. you know, it's like, damn, it's weird. So listening to Bill and then seeing what happened, it was like two opposites, right? It was like, here's a person that's, he used to say, suicide's the coward's way out. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> so if, if we're having a private conversation and I'm like, hey, John, suicide's the coward's way out. You're gonna be like, Mike's never gonna do it. 
He's, right. He feels really strongly against it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 2009, that happened and it just rocked. It rocked my world. It rocked my company's world. I had to move into the president role. Um, and uh, we just basically kept it moving. Bill was a very, very popular guy in the firearms industry. And his funeral was like a who's who of the gun industry. There were people there from every major distributor. There were people from other manufacturers there. And um, it was really crazy because once we, we put him in the ground, it was like the whole industry as a whole is like nothing in magazines, you know, nothing on the, nobody talked about it. We just kept it moving. So, you know, cut to 2019, I, I'd always felt weird about that situation, but I didn't know any other way to handle it. Um, we kept moving. We did better than ever as a company. Obviously we had those great years, you know, like as the industry, yeah. um, eventually one day I'm, 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 I'm with my national sales rep, uh, manager, which is Rafael Davale, And we're out celebrating. We had just gone to Lipsy's, which is a major distributor. We sold a bunch of guns. So we were, we're out celebrating and, and having a good time. And we met a complete stranger who we invited to come have dinner with us because it was a very crowded restaurant. And it was just the two of us. And this lady was by herself. And she was asking all the questions that somebody who doesn't understand the gun industry or doesn't know about the gun industry would if they were sitting with two people who are in the gun industry, right? Because not uh -huh. many people, you never, you don't meet people in the gun industry every day. Um, and she asked one question and it changed my life. You know, we were talking about the negative outcomes of guns. And she's like, what happens during mass shooting? I said, everybody blames us, the gun industry. We blame mental health and then nothing ever happens. And she literally asked one question. She goes, what are you, what are you doing to work with the mental health community on the things you can work together on? And, uh, you know, there's got to be things you can work together on because we were talking about everything wants to be uh, legislation and restriction and that doesn't work. And, and uh, I took it and ran with that. That was that question. So having the experience of what happened with Bill and then having this complete stranger ask a random question completely changed my life. And, and, and that's how I started Walk to Talk America. And look at me now, you know, I do this full time. Yeah. And I, I don't know, you know, it, one of the things that always kind of frustrates me about uh, how how things are handled within the government to try and control the people with, with legislation and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, when, when there's a problem that someone is hired to attack head on, if they solve that problem, they no longer have a job. So, you know, it's like you see it. I think, I think you see it most prevalent, uh, unfortunately, with this with the homeless population right like they've, they've got to have people that are at the federal level at the state level even in the city level that their job is to try and figure out how do we how do we solve this this homeless situation and yet if they do their job and they do solve the problem then there's no need for that division to exist anymore therefore they technically just kind of work themselves out of the job and in the meantime they constantly ask for, well, I need more money. I need more resources. I need more this. I need more that. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to grow their division to make it seem more important and then not solve the problem. Because if I solve the problem, then everyone that I've grown or all the, you know, this whole division that I've grown is now going to be out of a job. So that doesn't benefit us. So instead, we need more money. We need to keep you know, acting like we're doing it. And I don't know. That's something that's always kind of bugged me because I feel like 
you know, we know that there's a mental health issue. We know that there's abuse in the mental health system. You know, people that take advantage of it for uh, purposes of getting off the streets or, you know, getting free meals or getting free medical care and stuff like that. Um, and yet, if if we try to bring a solution to it, I feel like it kind of falls a little bit on deaf ears because the people that are actually in control of how things are handled kind of go like, well, you know, that's a, that's a great plan. That would probably start solving solutions that I don't, would no longer be a need for anymore. And because I used to, I saw it in EMS, you know, on your podcast, we talked about the fact that I worked eight years as, as a, a EMT in Las Vegas and how, there was so much abuse of the, the mental health system and the 911 system and stuff like that. But, you know, the, the solution, there, there, there's plenty of solutions, but no one wants to, to take the first step to make it happen. Um, so it sounds then like Walk to Talk America pops up because instead of staying in the Eagle Imports world and making the money off of the sale of firearms, you wanted to uh, do something that attacked one of the major problems head on. Yeah, it was a real uh, good opportunity for me to break out and and also do something different, right? Um, and I didn't, I thought it was going to complement Eagle Imports. So like for me, it was like, all right, we'll do both. And then at one point I was like, man, I'm working more on Walk the Talk America than I am, uh, you know, Eagle Imports stuff. So it became this thing where it was like, all right, like this is this is an opportunity. And it's so funny because if you if you think about it in the beginning, like in the beginning, I, I would just cringe if I listened to myself on a podcast like this. If I listened to one of those back in the day, because it really has taken shape five years later, it's a completely different monster than what it was when I started. When mm -hmm. I first started, you know, I and, and for those listening, just so you get a basic understanding, what Walk the Talk America is, is, is an organization that's, that's come up from the gun industry that looks for innovative ways to get people the help they need when they're in crisis without fear of consequence, along with educating people inside the gun community and demystifying the counseling process and educating people outside of the 2A community on the fears that the gun industry faces, right? So, you know, in the beginning, I just wanted to hand money to Mental Health America. Like that was, I, I had found a, I had found a mental health organization that literally went on record to say that they were gun neutral, even though it was an unpopular opinion. Um, I, you know, at first when I was looking, I was like, I don't even know if there's a mental health organization that will listen to me, you know, because right. of the divide. Um, but yep. when I found them, I had to power, I partnered with them. And originally, I just wanted I wanted to stop the next mass shooter. I thought that 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 was going to be like, hey, what if we raise all this money? Because I, I was looking at the pharma system, the big pharma system. I was like, all those mental health companies take money from big pharma, who's supposedly the enemy. Now they're everyone's hero. But like back then, you know, big pharma was considered bad. Right. right. And um, I was like, if they take money from big pharma, they'll take money from the gun industry and will will support all the stuff, all the budget cutbacks that they complain about. I was like, maybe the gun industry can fill in some of those gaps. So I was like coming with a big check. I was like, all right, you run with it. And they were like, what do you want us to do? And I'm like, all the things you talk about doing if you have money. And they're like, we don't have anything. 
And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> it was like one of the, it was one of the worst days of my life because I had gotten everyone excited about Walk the Talk America. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I was talking about Coley and Noir. Like, I'm talking to everybody, Martin from Arms Car. I'm talking to everybody. And they're like, man, you go, like, go, Dad, do this thing. And I'm going out there. And they're like, yeah, we don't, we, we can write those programs together. I'm like, you don't have anything to stop mass shooters. Like, you don't have mental health resources for outreach and all that stuff. And they're like, no. And I'm like, God, and I remember I had a board meeting and um, Rob Pincus stood up because he had to leave. And he was like, listen, we got to you got to figure out something, man, because anybody could hand hand money to Mental Health America. I could go donate to Mental Health America. He's like, how are we going to be different for gun owners? How are we going to be different for the firearms industry? Walked out of the room. Right. And I was just like, oh, my God, I got to look at this and just tear it down and rebuild. And thank God. Thank God I did it because. Um, you know, now I really feel like we are kind of the leaders in better mental health and suicide prevention uh, for the people that are involved in this. Because, as you know, all these years, the mental health side, they don't even know how to approach this. And I think some of it comes from what you're saying. Some of it's probably like, we don't need to fix it. We just need to make it look like we're working on it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I had that conversation many times with people where I'm like, <laughs> if I could rename Walk to Talk America, I would name it Walk Three Feet Over There. Because I feel like everybody, <laughs> because everybody in the mental health community seems to want to meet, to meet, to meet, to talk about the same things. Language and, you know, these buzz phrases that I think are great. I'm not, I'm not pissing on them, but it's like mental health awareness and the stigma Lock up your guns, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's, what happens it's, in Vegas? Like. Yeah, it's the same same things, and there's no action. And I wanted to do something where there was, like, something concrete where I could be like, this is what we do. You know, if you're like, hey, what do you exactly do you do? And then, then I show you what, what I do. And everybody that I show outside of the gun industry, is they're blown away by it because they're like, wow, we never even thought that that's possible. You know what I mean? Right. Um, they never expected it from our side, period. So, you know, I think I think we're in a good space now. Um, and and like I said, there's no reason. I think, you know, I, I tell people all the time for the firearms industry, I'm like, we're, we're the most aware and prepared people. Like, we're vigilant. Why not be the leaders in this space, too? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, why not be in the forefront of it? So... Yeah, and you know it's it's a it's an interesting concept of mental health because it's not it's not always that someone is born with it and they live with it their whole lives. You can have a, a wonderful childhood, you can have a, a good education, you can have a solid background, a great job, and then something just happens that is so devastating to you that you're never the same. And, you know, that particular event changes your life, whether or not it's it's, you know, being cheated on from from your significant or spouse, spouse or significant other that you've been together with for 15 years. And then all of a sudden you find out they've cheated on you or whatever, like that could be enough to crack someone mentally. All it, all it would take is one event. And so it's 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 difficult because you can't you there's no way to catch everything. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, um there's yeah when people talk about like well you know there had to have been signs 
It's like, no, no, sometimes there's not. Sometimes just something happens that triggers that person and they make a very, very um, sporadic and intense decision right then and there to do something extremely violent to themselves or to someone else. Um, you know, and, and a week from now, they're, they're sitting there, if they're still alive, if they don't, you know, kill themselves or anything from it. They could be sitting there wondering, like, oh, my God, how did, how did I screw my life up so bad with one decision, right? But, like, mm-hmm. in the moment, they were not clear. There, there is the legit uh, temporary insanity mm-hmm. is a real thing, yeah. you know. That's, so, that, that's how it got framed to me, right? So when I first started, I really wanted to focus on mass shooters, like I thought that, you know, cause a couple of mass shootings had happened and it was a fresh, you know, you know how it is, right? Like when a mass shooting happens, it's this horrific event that literally it's like everybody's paying attention, media, da, da, da. So I'm making phone calls in the beginning of, of this whole walk to talk America journey. And I don't even know that I'm, I shouldn't be calling these people. It was weird. Like I, I always say like, Matt, imagine if you're like, yeah, I want to learn how to shoot free throws. And you're like, <laughs> This guy, Michael Jordan, I'm going to call him and I'm going to call this guy, Alan Iverson. And I was getting through to these really high up people uh, by writing emails and making phone calls. Right. And I, and I got a hold of this guy named Dr. Jeffrey Swanson. And uh, he's out of North Carolina. He's he's in epidemiology. And um, it's kind of funny because like people after told me they're like, you got him on the phone for like a couple hours. And I was like, yeah. So I contacted this man and I was like, Hey, like I'm starting this organization. I'm from the gun industry. And he, he, he wrote me back uh, an email and he's just like, I have time to talk in a couple weeks, but I'm going to send you a bunch of articles and I want you to read them. And, mm-hmm. uh, he sends me these articles. So I was like, cool. I got a homework assignment. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm all in, right. Because I'm fascinated by this. Um, so, we get to the phone call and we we're having a great conversation and he he's like hey you really need to focus on suicide prevention and i was like ah i i get it everyone keeps telling me that you know mental health america told me that and i was just like but i i really want to do this mass shooting thing so i want to do both right but uh, but uh well how do we do this and he's like focus on suicide prevention that's the only thing you can make a difference in the rest of it's a needle in a haystack. And I was like, can you make that make sense to me? And he's like, okay, let's put it this way. You take 10 people, you line them up. All 10 of them have schizophrenia. He's like, you hand them a firearm. You tell them, hey, this is yours. You can keep this at your house. He's like, they can go their whole life without hurting themselves or somebody else. He's like, you're having a bad day at work. He's like, you come home. He's like, You catch your wife in bed with your best friend and you snap, Mike. He's like, you snap. He's like, see how it's a needle in a haystack? And I was like, oh my God. I'm like, you're right. Right. Just because you could have bipolar disorder. You can have all these things that never hurt anybody or yourself. And then you could have that moment of rage, which you just talked about that thing where you look back and you're like, what? I, that wasn't me for a day or that wasn't me for an hour. Or, that wasn't me for a minute. You know yeah. what I mean? So that's how it got framed up to me. So you saying that, 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 that gets my soul because that's exactly what Jeff said to me. You know, and, the and, course of this. and that's interesting that a doctor was willing to have that conversation with you. And the reason why we're, we're bringing that up is because, like, uh, you know, even for a while there, it was almost like this fear of doctors asking, like, well, do you own any firearms? 
because if you start showing signs of depression or something like that, now we got potential red flag laws and stuff like that that are trying to come into play where that doctor could then say like, okay, well, patient is showing signs of depression. I have fear for him causing harm to himself mm -hmm. or others. So we need to get his guns confiscated until you know, further evaluation to determine what happens. Right. And, and not to say that that's not important, but the, uh, the, the problem I think is that it, is becoming weaponized like it's obviously i think if if someone has thoughts of wanting to harm themselves then of course you want to try and eliminate every possible thing that you can that they could potentially use but that at the same time what, what does that mean if you're going to confiscate the gun does that mean you're going to go into this kitchen you're going to confiscate every single knife does it mean they you're never confiscate do the, yeah are they going to confiscate the toaster because you can take that yeah, right. bathtub with you right like yeah. you you're talking about like, well, we, in order to prevent it, we have to control the guns because the gun, well, there's other ways that people can harm themselves, you know, and it's, it's very interesting too, because in EMS, we always found that, you know, um, guys, when they wanted to commit suicide, like a lot of the times it was a very violent self-inflicting act. It was almost like to make a statement. It was, you know, very graphic. It was the idea was it for it to be quick and done and over um, versus females. Females tend to want to stay pretty for the funeral. Want to, you know, they go in out by by ingesting pills and alcohol or, or poisoning or something mm -hmm. like that because they're, you know. So even then, when you're talking about uh, suicide prevention, again, it's it's unfortunate how someone may go about committing suicide. But the more unfortunate thing was how their mental aspect, how they, how they felt so defeated in this life that they felt that that was the option, you know? And when we talk about, you know, look for the signs, I can say that uh, there, there were people that had a history of depression and, and suicidal ideation and stuff like that. Yeah, you could see certain signs that were obvious if you knew that's what you were supposed to be looking for. But sometimes you got someone that internally just constantly feels underrated, underappreciated, overlooked, underpaid, overworked, da, da 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 They keep their mouth shut about it because they think, well, I've just got to, you know, just suck it up, buttercup, right? That's what all, our mm -hmm. guys, all us guys mm -hmm. are told, right? Just suck it up. And, right. you know. and we, we found that... Um, when when they're sad and depressed is a, alarming what's really alarming is the day they become happy because if they show up all of a sudden with a smile and a laugh and they're joking and they seem upbeat that sudden switch typically meant that they had a plan and they were ready to execute it this was their last day on earth that they planned on being here and they felt like the ending the end was coming and they felt mm -hmm. relief and stuff you know so um there's just so much to the mental world and and it's it's definitely something that needs to be addressed, needs to be tackled head on, like you said, like this whole pussy footing around and just, you know, hey, let's let's come up with this catchphrase and then feel good about ourselves because we're we're doing something about mental health. It's like, well, okay, but what what are we actually doing and how do we how do we go about, you know, addressing it? So yeah, I, let me just add something to that because you said something that's really interesting because um, I'm sure some of your listeners right now are probably, some of them might be like, hey, man, why are you focusing on just the gun? Because there are other ways. 
that's be- a because I'm from the gun industry. Like mm-hmm. if I worked in the rope industry, I probably would focus on hangs, right? Because right. I and and also I want that listener to understand. I'm not saying we're going to stop suicide, right? I'm not saying that at all. I don't even know if that's possible, right? And that's a dark comment, but it's a re- it's reality. I'm saying. I think as the gun industry, the firearms community, we need to do our best to give our customers, our people, because I'm going to say it's people, not just everybody's a customer, because we are a tribe, right? Like we are, we are like the skateboard kids. We are also like the Star Wars nerds, right? Like we go to our conventions and we, you know, we, we love, we love to talk to each other about guns. We need to give our people the the most resources and the ability to check in on their mental health even before let, let's get upstream to prevent the unpredictable and, and i'm going to do a plug for arms corps but it's a perfect timing for this when you guys started putting the flyers in the box and on the side of the ammo right you guys were one of the first people right my, my yep. relationship with arms corps has always been great and because you got it you're just like, yeah, this makes sense. It's just something else we're offering our customers. We want to keep them mentally healthy. You have to be mentally healthy if you own a gun. Like that's that's just part of the process, right? But it has to come from the manufacturers. It has to come from the firearms trainers. It has to come from the gun shops. Because when it comes from the outside sources that don't understand us or don't love us, we just shut down, right? So like Arms Corps stepping forward and saying, hey, it's okay to like stay on top of your mental health. Like that impact that when that customer is like, cool, Arms Corps got my back. Like they want they want me to check it. Here's a free and anonymous mental health screening, right? Like just take it if you want to. Like that's the best way. That, that's why it's so important. So I just want to make sure like that the, the listener is understanding where we're coming from, hmm. you know, that they understand that the, it's the industry that's got to drive this, not the outside forces, just like everything with us, <laughs> you know? No. Yeah, absolutely. And and. Also understand it's okay to have hours or days of weakness where you feel tired, you feel exhausted, you feel like you just can't do it. Like, I think that's that's normal for people that hold themselves to a high standard or that just have a string of bad luck. I mean, it's possible to just have one bad thing come and hit you over and, you know, one after another after another. It's it's perfectly possible, especially with today's economy and the politics and all this bullshit and all the finger pointing that goes on with, with, you know, who, who, who messed up and put us where we are right now. Cause it's not me. It had to have been that guy. Well, no, it was clearly this girl. Well, no, actually it was this group over here. And then, well, that group mm-hmm. only showed up because this group was doing this. And there's so much finger pointing going, there's no accountability. Um, you know, and, and to, to understand, like, like you said, like you need to have those checkups and, I think, you know, so so let's talk about this real quick. Let's say someone that is a firearms owner is having thoughts of harming themselves. How do you suggest they would proceed with seeking help without being labeled the the potential psycho that needs to have his guns confiscated? Um you know, like, are, are there is there a program out there or is there some sort of uh, directory where we have physicians that are firearms friendly and pro pro two way and understand that that concept? I mean, how, how would someone go about or how would you suggest they go about um, seeking help in a way that doesn't label them as a potential, you know, red flag? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it, uh, it, you're almost like teamed it up for me to talk about some of the things we have in the works. But the, so so ri originally, um, because we we were sitting around this table and we were we were talking about this is the Walk Talk America people, and we were thinking about there has to be other gun owning clinicians out there, right? Like that understand us. And sure enough, we we we're starting to find them. We have a cultural competence course on our website, and we're I'm gonna I'm gonna get to how people will get help. Um, but I just want to talk about the cultural competence course. We've had over a thousand clinicians come through for CEU credits and take this cultural competence course. So we are starting to build a small little army of clinicians out there. And a lot of these clinicians take this course and they come into it terrified of guns or anti-gun. Um, mm -hmm. and it's been real fun to watch. We've had uh, the feedback, we have to get feedback to get the CEUs. You have to get, that's the continuing education units. Uh, people need those to, for their licensing board, um, to get those CEUs, you have to give us feedback. So whether it's going to be good, bad, whatever, like neutral. And, and I can honestly say that we we've never had a bad review of this cultural competence course. It's always been positive or neutral. Um, but we've had people literally tell us. I was anti-gun before I took this course, and now I think I'm gun neutral. I have to rethink the way I'm thinking about things, which is exactly what we want, right? So if we can we can make this a standard and build this into the curriculum of, of mental health clinicians where they think they know this is available, I think that just grows organically, right? It's like planting seeds all over the country. Now, yeah. back to your original question, getting help is gonna be different by each state, okay? Um, I would never give the same advice to somebody in New York state than I would in Nevada, right? New York right. state has the New York safe act. And that's some of the, that's some of the work that we're doing to try to change these laws and acts and things like that in different states. A lot of people do not realize that the policies that are put in place that they think are keeping people safe are literally barrier to entries for people to get help. We have people all the time that are like, I want to talk to somebody, but I won't do it because of the red flag law in my state. Right. Right. But you have to, and this is something that they could, you could always contact us if you have a particular question about the laws in your state, because that's what we're here for. We're, we're a resource for that. Like, you know, the information, most clinicians, in most states cannot take your guns, but people don't know that. There are some that can. In New York state, they have to report you <laughs> when you go in there for just anxiety, right? New right. York state yep. is, is, is a tough one, but most states you can't. So my first suggestion for anybody, if you are listening right now and you're like, I know this person and you know they have guns, but they're afraid to come to you, like just reach out to us and we'll help you with the legwork. And we also have a directory on our website. It's, we just started it a couple months ago. Um, it's so it's small, but we have about 15 clinicians that are like full blown pro 2A, kick down the door, like tell, tell you that I'm pro 2A, I own guns. Um, and that's what we're building. We're building our database, our network of clinicians that are culturally competent. They come through and now we're we're pooling them and convincing them to come out of the 2A closet, uh, which is a Jake Wiskirchen. Jake Wiskirchen 
coined that phrase to me one time because when he first started working with the organization, he wasn't he wasn't telling his own people that he was a pro gun guy. So everything he was doing, and then one day he realized nothing's ever going to change unless I like become the pro two A clinician. And I think he's trailblazed that. You know what I mean? And um, and he's like your partner with Walk the Talk America. He's kind of like your you two are kind of the two spear points, right? We we are we are. When people think of Walk Talk America, they think of us. You know what I mean? It's just it's just not. We have people that work work really hard with Walk Talk America. All all of this volunteer work. Jake is a, an angel, <laughs> like you know. But Jake truly enjoys it. So and and real quick, uh, what is the website that people would go to if they needed to get in contact with you? Uh, WTTA.org or WalkTheTalkAmerica.org. You know, and you could see, and if, if you don't want to contact us, you could still, con- you could still see the resources on there. Um, there's the free to anonymous mental health screenings. There's also the directory. Um, so maybe you are located in an area where we have one of those 15 people. Some of them do telehealth, right? Which is good. So they cover numerous states. Mm, um, okay. You know, but, but, but what, where we're going, what we see in the future, and it's going to take, some time it's going to take resources and money um is we want to we want to start a separate organization that deals that's solely for gun owners and and people of that mindset um where they can not even have to worry about it it's like i'm going to be talking to jake wiskirchen right like Mm -hmm. if i'm having if i'm if i've hit a speed bump in life that's temporary and i need to talk to somebody Right. We have D.B. Palmer. We have all these guys uh, uh, that are, you know, we have four mental health clinicians that work with Walk Talk America. So um, usually what happens is if somebody contacts us and this is how we got the idea for this. We had people contacting us all the time saying, look, I'm ready to talk to somebody. Who do I talk to? I'm afraid. And what we used to do or what we still do many times now is we find somebody for them, like saying, hey, call this person, this, you know, we have enough contacts to where we can find somebody that will get it. If you walk in through the door and you're like, I own guns, I have a, you know, they're not going to be like, what? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. and that's, that's really, you know, when I said earlier, get upstream to prevent the unpredictable. And I think that's where the gun industry really needs to um, focus on. So when you buy a gun, cause you know, this process, right. As a shooter, like, just, just, it, a, just a few times. Just a little bit. No, but think about when you did it, right? Um, like when I didn't know anything about firearms, some will argue I still don't. Uh, <laughs> but when I didn't, right, like uh, the first thing that was drilled into me was safety, right? You learned like the four basic safety rules, but safety, man, like it was drilled into me by everybody that was teaching me to shoot or teaching me about things, right? Um, so I got that down pretty quick because we are so focused on safety. I mean, even inside manuals, like it tells you everything, right? Um, then the second thing is, is defensive shooting. Um, you learn pretty quickly when you get your CCW, like you can't just shoot somebody and it's gonna be <laughs> roses and rainbows and you're gonna right. be a hero, Yeah. right? You, they, they, they literally, most of the places that I speak, they usually bring in a lawyer of some sort, you know, like some of the, the events that I've spoke at that tell the crowd, like, this is what happens. Prepare for the worst. Your life's going to be hell. And that's exactly why places like USCCA exist, right? Because people have in, insurance if they do get in a defensive shooting situation. But un, unlike what the rest of the country thinks we think about, we actually are very aware 
And I think that that prevents people from shooting people more often because we know that it's going to be, it's, it's not going to be easy. Right. Um, but now I think the third piece that we just need to have as part of the curriculum and just part of it is better mental health and a suicide prevention plan. Like that's, that, that completes the circle of being prepared. Right. Mm -hmm. So you got the safety, the training, the understanding of the law and okay my family, we all have a, we know what to do if dad goes through a rough time or, you know, my daughter's going through a tough time. Like there's a safety plan in, in place because everything is temporary. Like you said, it's a temporary moment. Right. And I think that just needs to be part of gun ownership. But once again, I think that needs to be ours, not any outside government force, any organization outside of our industry. I think it's like, I sell you this gun and I'm just like, okay, you know, get your safety, you know, understand the law and, and make sure you have a, a better mental, stay on top of your mental health, you know, and you could do it this way and also have a suicide prevention plan just in case you might not, not ever use it, but just like a gun, you, you might never use it, but it's better to have it. So that's how I see it. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. then it becomes like seatbelts for us as an industry, right? Like my kids get in the car and they put a seatbelt on. No one even has to tell them, right? You, they did it from when they were little. I think it just becomes fluid and we just, we're doing that. And I'm right because a lot of USCCA trainers and a lot of NRA instructors have contacted us for our information and they're incorporating this into their training sessions, which I love. You know, we have slides on the website that they can incorporate and our material. So it's, it's catching on. Well, yeah, and I, th I think... Um... You know, we, we talked you, you talked a little bit about how some of these doctors were coming in anti-gun and now they're they're at least becoming firearms neutral. And like, you know, it's comical when you consider that because you're a doctor, which means that the only thing that should ever matter to you is human life. It doesn't matter what race they are, doesn't matter what religion they are, doesn't matter their sex, doesn't matter what they identify as nowadays, because that's such a hot topic item, right? You're a doctor. A person comes in needing help. You treat them to the best of your ability to prolong life and, and you know, solve the problem. But yet, well, if they found out you were a gun owner and they were anti-gun, does that mean they were not, not saying they weren't trying as hard, but there's a little bit of a desire to pull back from the situation, you know, stuff like that. And that's, that's alarming. Like as mm -hmm. a, as a medical practitioner, you take the Hippocratic oath to do no harm. And, you know, well, that, that includes like, it doesn't matter what your political beliefs are. If you're a Democrat and a Republican, if Trump comes in your ER, you can't just say, well, I guess he's going to die. Cause I ain't touching him. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that's, right. that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're, you're supposed to be completely, you're, the only thing you should be focusing on is prolonging the human life that comes in and, and needs help. Um, so yeah, it's just funny that, that that's another thing that a doctor, because I mean, in reality, here's the fact. Firearms enthusiasts, police officers, firefighters, doctors, nurses, we're all human. So because you you work in a certain field or you have a certain job, that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect in it all the time because every person will have good days and bad days. You know, I've had I've had people that I've I've met when they were having a good day and they were awesome and then I find out later on that like every other interaction that other people have with them think they're an asshole, <laughs> right? Because right. that's really where they are. I just got them on a good day. And then I've also had interactions with people that treated me like an asshole. And yet if I saw them a month from la uh, later, 
they're a completely different person because they're having a better day. I caught them on a bad one, right? Cops, you get pulled over by a cop, and he walks up and he says, "License registration." And you try and you try and be as as you know pleasant as you can, or and, and as cooperative, and he just seems like he's he's being an asshole. Well, you have no clue what that cop just went through. What if he the last call that or the last uh, traffic stop that he did ended up being some guy that you know is completely shit faced drunk with three of his kids in the back. He was driving. He's endangered these three kids. He had you know like you don't if if that was the last interaction he had, I'm sure he's his bullshit meter is pretty much out of juice and he, he just doesn't have any more to give. Right. So, so to understand that they're human, they're, they're not always going to be perfect, but to try and, and remain as neutral as you can, like, you know, I, I try and teach my, my kids, um, you know, I explained to them, like, look, I don't, I don't care who you are as far as, what you identify as or what your likes or what your dislikes are. What I care about is, are you a good person or not? Mm -hmm. Because if you're a good person, then I'm going to treat you accordingly. If you're a bad person, that doesn't mean I'm going to treat you bad. That just means that I'm going to try and not associate myself with you. I'm going to distance myself from you. If you need help with something, I'm not necessarily going to want to give it to you because you've proven that you take advantage of people or you've proven that you're just abusive of it. You know, like it's important to kind of be able to, to set up these, um, safeguards for yourself and it's and understand it's not it's not about being selfish it's about knowing your boundaries and being like look here's where i draw the line you stepped over it you willingly stepped over that line that i do not deem acceptable so i'm not going to interact with you not because i i hate you and i'm selfish but because that is just something i don't want in my life mm -hmm. right so so it's it's good though to hear you know going back to that regular, regular thought was like it's it's good to hear you say that there's so many clinicians and and PhDs and stuff that are coming in and admitting I was biased to not liking firearms and now I'm leaving with a different mindset of of a neutral mindset and understanding that it's a tool it doesn't a firearms owner does not mean a violent person it just means it's a firearms owner this it's a whole new like if, it, it's so funny because people are just like they ask about you know we're five years into this and they're just like what's the most special thing about Walk Talk America what are you the most proud of or and one of the things that I'm the most proud of is our ability to walk into anti-gun rooms and change the way people think and it's weird because there's almost like this confidence that I have so like I'll give you an example. Um, about two months ago, I was invited to go to the uh, Aspen Institute of uh, Health Festival, which is at the Aspen Institute in Aspen. It's like this really private, crazy, like week-long event. And um, I, these, some of these names are going to make people like eye roll. But, but, but keep in mind that I was part of that. Right. Like that's the beauty of this. So I was there with um, I was one of the speakers along with uh, Chelsea Clinton, uh, Dr. Fauci, um, uh, that drink from Black BlackRock, you know, like the, like some really heavy hitters and big time people. But it was really cute because um, they called me out of the blue and they're just like, hey, I know it's short notice, but could you come next week to to be a, a speaker on this panel? And um, I was kind of, I'm always leery of that stuff. I'm just like, well, what do you need from me? Like, what, what's the catch? And there's like, 
nothing. We, we have a travel agent that will call you and, you know, you could stay the whole time if you want, but we only need you for this day. And I was like, okay, are you going to pay for it? You're paying for everything? They're like, yeah, we'll pay for your food. Your, your, your I'm like, really? To Aspen? I'm like, I'm in. I'm, let's go. Right. But when I got there, because um, I did stay the whole week. Uh, when I got there, I, it was really interesting because I was walking around and there were so many people that I think were, were worried for me um, because like so many people pulled me aside, like people that were running the event. And they're just like, hey, listen, this crowd, they can be pretty rough on the gun thing. Like, you know, just be prepared. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, we're fine. Don't worry about it. You know, right. <laughs> like I, I do better in front of these people than I do my own, right? Because my own people have this kind of like when they hear guns and mental health, they're like, what the hell are you doing? You know, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you're trying right? to reflect like, me, bro. <laughs> right. Like we're, we're so conditioned to think that, you know, when, when we hear those things, it's negative, right? Um, but it was really interesting because it went exactly how I thought it was going to go. Like I went up there and did my thing and I got people to think. Right. Like, and I'll, I'll give you an example of that. So like at one point, they, the topic of red flag laws came up and the two other people on the panel, of course, were super pro red flag law and they're spouting all these statistics that I'm like, yeah, I don't even know where you got these statistics from, but, but you know, as statistics as you can do, right. Um, and you can find and, statistics to prove anything. Anything. All, all it depends anything. on which website you go to, because they love to find different <laughs> ways to to morph the numbers in the favor of one yeah. or the other. It, it's ridiculous. And, and I love when people give me statistics. I don't want to go off on a rant and like, lose my train of thought. But I love when people are like, 80% of gun owners are in favor of this. And I'm like, where are you hanging out? Like, what gun owner? Like, where are you in San Francisco? Like, a small pocket of gun owners? Like, like, like yeah. no. Where I come from, everybody, 100% are going to be like, no. <laughs> Unless I'm being lied to, you know? Right. But um, it's really funny because I'm, I'm up on this thing and, you know, they, they're – just going off about red flag laws and how many people it saves. And I'm like, yeah, I live in a different world than these two. I'm like, I live in a world where red flag laws are barrier to entry. And of course, like the two people like turn, I'm like, yeah, most of my people won't go get help, um, you know, because of the red flag laws in their state. And I'm like, and then what happens is people who don't want to go get help. And I was, I, I brought up my podcast and I've like, I've actually had people come on the show that have lost their significant other and their significant other worked with guns and they were begging them to go get help. And they were like, I can't, I can't lose my gun rights. I'll, I'll lose our livelihood. And these people, like twice it's happened and people like the person lost that person's suicide. Um, but, and that's what I said. I'm like, when you, when people are afraid to go get help, what happens is they're at stage two and then they go to stage three and then they go to stage four right? Because you're not getting help. You're not treating it. And then when you're at stage four, that's when something catastrophic happens. And it was crazy because I had them like they like I could see the crowd like looking and nodding. I saw people nodding. And so, you know, you get you get this feeling that you're you're saying something that's resonating. And sure enough, as soon as that panel was over, man, and people were coming up to me, they're like, man, you give me a lot to think about. I never even thought that red flags could prevent somebody from getting help. He's like, when gun people used to you know, when, when he's like, when the GOP and all these people like would shoot down red flag laws and stuff like that, he's like, I always thought it was just gun people wanting to arm people. You know, he's, you guys want to arm everybody. He's like, I never realized, I never thought of it like that. Like people would be afraid to get help. And I'm like, yeah. And I, and that was it. See, this is a time when I walked into this 
buzzsaw or allegedly, you know, and I knew that if someone saw what walk the talk America is giving solutions, like we're giving, because here's the thing, the expectation level of the gun industry when it comes to this stuff is zero. They think we don't care. They think all we care about is money um, and gun sales. Right? So now when I walk in, I know they're going to be all like bowed up. And then I'm going to start talking about Arms Corps and Ruger and Bursa and all these these companies that are putting the mental health screening flyer in the boxes of their guns and all the things that we're doing, right? Now they're going to be like, whoa, I didn't even, whoa, that's amazing to me, like, right? This is, this is how the transformation happens every time. I didn't realize, that is so cool. Like, I didn't even realize, like, you're doing stuff like that. I didn't even know the gun industry's doing stuff like that. And I'm just like, yeah, that's what, these are the things that we can do to help our consumers, right? Now I got them to kind of put this down. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to listen to the whys, right? They're going to listen to how transfer laws can be a barrier to entry, right, to get somebody help. Like, right now, if, you know, you used to live in Vegas, like, if you came over to my house and you tried to take my gun out of the house, now we're both criminals, right? Because we didn't go transfer the gun. Right. But... You know, so these are these are the silly things that are barriers to entry to saving lives that they never think about because they're so conditioned to think that we just want to arm people and be difficult. They don't realize I didn't see it from their perspective. And that's what we're doing. And that's now that advocacy is like part of Walk to Talk America. Like it's, a, it's a, to me, it's like a program, right? It's right. like, what is the stuff you do? I go change minds, hearts and minds, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And this is a little bit down the conspiracy theory hole here. Um, sometimes it can almost feel like that's, that's the desired effect that some of these politicians want. Um, it is. Because if you think about it, when, when they preach about red flag laws, it sounds like they're trying to do something about it. But they probably do. And probably, you know, those, those people have, have other, they've got an army of people that are probably smarter than I am, right? They probably got so many other letters that follow their names, whereas my name is John McLean. And I get referenced Die Hard all the time, so that shows the, the I was difference. Talking about that with my wife last night, <laughs> you know, that shows the difference of what the society thinks of my education level compared to PhDs and MDs and all that kind of stuff. But there's got to be people that, yeah, I mean, they they look at a situation and they go, hmm, red flag laws. So so if someone has a mental health crisis and they seek help, then we can take their guns. But I bet a lot of gun owners probably don't want us to take their guns, which means they won't seek help. So to those that support us, they're going to fight to the death to say and argue that we are doing something to try and help the gun owners. And they are just fighting us adamantly on it because of this whatever reason they're told and spoon fed versus the fact that you can't see the man behind the curtain pulling the strings doing it for the fact that, yep, I know for a fact if someone wants health, but if they admit that they need help, we can take their guns. They're not going to want to do it because of fear, which means that the, the situation will eventually resolve itself, right? Like that's, that's some of the right. things that, that upset me so much about this, the stupid politics world right now is like this, this fact like you're not don't, – don't dare try and tell me what I'm going through as a general American that has to live, you know, for the longest time, paycheck to paycheck and, and, you know, really budget my money to make sure that all my bills are paid and there's food in the fridge and all that kind of stuff. Like you don't have to do that. 
You've probably never had to do that. You have no, you have always lived in a gated community with armed guards and armed escorts. And now you're in a politician standpoint, which means that you're being paid a whole bunch of money to just talk and argue and try and win votes and, and all this kind of stuff. But yet you're, you're trying to say that you represent your, your constituents, but you have no clue what the hell they actually go through. You're being fed what is important. You're looking at the polls saying, well, the people in my area, what is, what is important to them? Because those are the things that I'm going to point out are important to me as well, because it seems like it's important to them. But they, it's, it's different, you know, like it, a career politician scares me because that <laughs> means they've been planning and and slithering their way and maneuvering and setting up people like I, I need to make sure I have this guy in my corner so so I've got access to to the Hispanic votes and I gotta have, you know like that scares me the people that want power absolutely should never be given it like you know what yeah. I mean like who wants to be the president who wants to have to make the decision of going to war or anything like that or dropping a bomb. To, to take the life of someone as, you know, or even a whole country or a city or, you know, whatever it is like that. That's terrifying to me that someone wants to be able to make those decisions. Um, and if they want to make that decision, then I don't want them to have that power because that's scary. <laughs> you know, yeah. like the, the man that wants power wants one, only one thing, more power. Right. You know, yeah. so, it's this. The, what's really scary, too, when it comes to firearms and guns and Second Amendment is it's so easy to, to, I don't want to say trick people, but like, it's so easy to say, like, I have the plan to end this, like to stop this. And we're going to enforce universal background checks and red flag laws. And the average person who doesn't know anything about firearms is going to go like, that makes sense to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and they don't even know what that means. Um, Cause you can just do it under the auspice of like, and gun violence, right? Um, For the and not many people are going to look. Yeah, they're, they're not going to look into it, right? And it's it's one of those things where, um, like, red flag laws to me are a big slap in the face. And this is what I say every time, like, because I'm around a lot of people that you know when you're in that when you walk in that world, um, both worlds, the gun and the mental health side. I got to be around a lot of people that are for red flag laws. But it's like there's little changes they could do to red flag laws to show that they really cared about the human <laughs> that they don't. Right. One one would be. Force that person to get help. Right. Don't just take their gun like there has there has to be a plan to to make sure they're mentally healthy. Most red flag laws. Well, all red flag laws right now don't require you to get help. Right. They just take your stuff. Right. Like that's 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 the first red flag of the red flag law which may and in turn this... also trigger you to move to the next step because now you start to feel like well i i was just all my guns are gone now like i was just they yeah, were just taken closing I have, in on me yeah, yeah like you know so again yeah, like that, i just, I just lost that a conspiracy. right yeah exactly like conspiracy <laughs> idea right like the enforcement right. of it is is actually pushing that person further down the road that we don't want them to travel because you've just encroached on them you know with, with all right so and how many people and this is this is the fun part about what I get to do. So like I get to literally look at these things through this lens and you know, one thing I'm really good at because I I grew up I didn't grow up in the firearms industry. I grew up in super super liberal places. I grew up in Jersey and San Francisco. So it's like the my mother 
who's like screaming liberal feminist. You know what I mean? Like I can see things through her, her, her eyes because that's my mom. It's the person I spent the most time with my whole life. Um, but so, so I try to look at it as like, okay, when I look at a bill or I look at a law, I'm like, how does it screw over the underprivileged underserved communities? Right. That's, that's how I read them. So I remember one time I was on the, uh, a conference call and, um, it was a, it was a who's who of the firearms industry, like in terms of like NSSF was on there and, you know, people like Chris Chang and Rob Pincus. And then there was like Brady every town, right? They put these conglomerates together and they see if there's ways that we can meet in the middle. And what happens is, is nobody ever meets in the middle and <laughs> we all go our separate ways, but we're like, yeah, man, you were cool. Right. But I remember, um, it was one of the organizations. I can't remember which one. It was maybe it was Giffords or Everytown. One of them was bragging about the red flag law, right? Like they were talking about the red flag law that they were behind and all this stuff. So, you know, and keep in mind on this panel, there is other organizations that have nothing to do with guns. There's African American organizations. There, you know what I'm saying? Like there's religious organizations, and um, uh, I remember. Uh, <laughs> They were down to I like anybody have any questions about this red flag? I'm like I, I have a question. I'm like, and this is I love to do this. I'm like, I got my job through nepotism. I I'm pretty much like the face of privilege, right? All I had to do is not screw it up, <laughs> right? And I'm like, and yeah, I own my own company and I work from home and I have money. And if if someone were to red flag me. I actually could fight that. I, I can take the time off of work and I, I have the resources to have lawyers and, and I have a good path to my rights restoration. I was like, what about the single mother from Compton? I like who works three jobs or two jobs and she can't rely on law enforcement to protect herself. I'm like, what if she gets red flag? I said, do you have anything in the red flag that helps her pay for a lawyer and all this stuff? And of course, like I got her, I had her dead to rights because it was a, it was a, a sincere question, mm -hmm. but I knew where I was going with this. Right. And all of a sudden everyone's hitting their button. Sherry Mullock from the, she's from the, the African-American organization. Yeah. What Mike said, can, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Because now I'm looking because it's true, right? Like a lot of these laws, once again, they're, just for people that have means, right? Like, it's crazy. They think they're doing something good, but they're just making it a rich man sport. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Like there's people. So, you know, the, one <laughs> no. of the craziest things I got to, I got to um, experience something that was so eye opening. It was, I, I got to go on a trip to Paraguay um, to, to, to kind of put on, a, a, I, I went to a shooting match down there as a member of Team Arms Corps with one of our main distributors down there in, in Paraguay. And we started talking about, like, the cost of ammo and how, like, I mean, I think, what was it? I think 50 rounds of 9mm in Paraguay was the equivalent to, like, $60 U.S. for one box of 50 rounds. And I was right. just sitting there going, like, I could be a millionaire with the ammo that I have in my garage. You know what I mean? Like, right. oh, how much does twenty two long rifle go for? Oh, twenty two long rifle? Yeah, you probably get fifty rounds. Uh, maybe like like thirty eight dollars or forty dollars a box. I'm like, I, I I'm gonna bring you know like obviously I'm not gonna import ammo into Paraguay, but let's make that clear, right? <laughs> but like you said, like that means that like, dude, fifty rounds at sixty dollars a pop. That's 
what you're, you're talking about maybe 200 rounds is the equivalent to a case of ammunition of what we pay here in the states right 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 but it's a rich man's sport there and if you ain't rich well then you know go go make a bat out of one of the limbs off of your trees and use that for self-defense because you're sure as hell not going to pump a six dollar bullet into someone much less four of them you know i mean when six dollars is going to get you food or you know whatever and here in the U.S., it's just, and even with France. So, um, you know, we, we've got Eric Grafell, one of our team members who lives in France, right? And the, he's told me about the headache that he has to go through whenever, at, at the time, before he had his um, Eric Grafell's Easy Academy that he has now. So he can literally, like, go, he works in his office, and then when he's ready to go shoot, he just goes downstairs and sets it up, and he can go shoot. But before, like, the, the headache that that guy had to go through just to be able to drive from his house to the range to let the, the police department know, like, I will be traveling from this address to this address. I will have these firearms with me. I plan on having this much ammunition with me. This is what I'm going to be doing, you know, and, like, there can be no deviation. So he can't get a call from his wife and say, hey, we need milk from the store. Okay, yes, I'll go swing by and pick some up on right. the way home. Like, he's got to go home, drop everything off, lock it away, and then he can go and do other things, you know, stuff like and. Again, it was just like that was so eye-opening to me of the idea and the, and, the, and the aspect of just how good we have it here with the Second Amendment and the fact that we can shoot guns for fun, whereas other places shoot guns because it's necessary. Like they're in a war zone, or, or you know, we're we're so um, abstract compared to the rest of the world with the state. Like we are not the normal. We are the exception, right? Like the fact that the most people can walk out, go for a two or three mile run around the block, come back home and be perfectly safe. There's other places mm -hmm. that that is not possible. And at night, right. you better not be planning on even stepping foot out of your house to go check your mail because something can happen, right? Like it, it's just absolutely insane. Um, the, the, what we're allowed to do here in this in the u.s because of the second amendment and and also the fact that some people just can't comprehend the idea of like you know the second amendment is what keeps all the other amendments in place amendments up and alive yeah what one of the things that i think is really insane and i know like to me i don't i think this is overlooked a lot because i i have this exercise when i speak in front of the mental health crowd and i talk about ego imports and i'm always like does anyone want to take a guess how many guns we imported to the United States? You know, it was just like, we were a small company. I was like, just take a guess, right? And you get people that will yell out these numbers, 10,000, 5,000. I'm like- You talking about this week? No, when I left, <laughs> we were doing 60 to 80,000 guns and we didn't have any law enforcement contracts or any military contracts. So we were selling 60 to 80,000 guns to citizens of the United States. And we were a tiny person. Mm -hmm. Now let's 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 start thinking about Arms Corps. Let's start thinking about Ruger. Let's think about Smith and Wesson, Glock. It's amazing we don't. I mean, for as many guns as are out there, it's amazing we don't have a bigger gun issue. Like that's to me the most impressive thing about the United States is our control. <laughs> like, well, you know, and, and the argument is always that I've always had with people is like, look, if if I was if if us as a community, not just me, if us as a community was as violent as the mainstream media portrays us, there would be no opposition because they all would be dead. Yeah. That's the, so, like, they're making us out to be, like, these, these bloodthirsty, going out and seeking, 
action and, and revenge or whatever. And it's like, man, I'll tell you what, when I'm carrying concealed, I'm probably the nicest, most patient, understanding person you'll ever meet because I do not want to put myself in a situation where I have to use that. I have been in situations where people have made racist comments to me. Uh, they might be incorrect races because they can't differentiate what kind of Asian I am, right? Um, <laughs> right. But they make racist comments to me. They try and, and instigate by you know saying things about my family members or my significant other or my children and stuff like that, right? And I've just kind of like been like, yeah, yeah. If if that's how you feel, man, you know, okay, cool. Yeah. Like, and and I'm and, and as that's going on, I'm trying to back out of the situation. I'm not I'm not standing my ground and trying to puff up and seem like I'm backing away. I'm I'm trying to distance myself. No, you're absolutely right, sir. Nope. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I. Boy, if you only. Yep. You're absolutely right. My my boyfriend would so agree with you. I think you know. Like, <laughs> I don't get. Like, again, I'm like I'm trying to remove myself from that situation. Whereas the mainstream media makes it seem like I'm the kind of guy that would be. I'm armed. Who wants to step up? Huh? You got something you want to say to me? Go ahead and say it. Let's, let's see who goes home tonight. I'm not like that at all. And, you know, they yeah. say an armed society is a polite society, man. If I walk in a room with full of people that I know got guns along with me, I think we're a pretty cool group of people that are, are going to get along pretty solid. But, yeah, you know. No, 100%. I, I, I equate it to, like, I remember because growing up in San Francisco, like, I used to go swimming, like, like, my mom would, we, she'd date a guy or something. He had jet skis. I remember like swimming in the Pacific Ocean, right in the bay and stuff like that. And then one day finding out how many great white sharks are in there. Like literally. <laughs> <laughs> like one day I was watching this documentary about like there's a pipeline of sharks that literally go through. The, and I'm like, I was, I used to swim in there. You know what I mean? It's, but then you kind of realize like, Sharks don't really attack people. <laughs> I mean, it, it can happen, right? But that's just like guns to me. Like, it's like if you really knew how many guns were around you, and I'm talking through the lens of the anti-gun person or the person who's afraid of guns, it's like if you only knew, <laughs> yeah. you'd kind of realize it's not coming to get you. Well, and you know? <laughs> I've, had, I've had moments where I'd be in grocery stores or whatever, and, yeah, people in front of me or behind me are talking about, gun owners and in a negative light and me just kind of sitting there being like they have no clue a gun is literally two feet in front of them and yet it's not jumping itself out of my holster to to stand up and defend itself because it's an inanimate object like why are you you keep blaming the gun but yet any other story a man goes out and and whomps a bunch of baby seals with a baseball bat that guy's a psycho. What kind of person would go out and whomp baby seals over the head with the baseball bat? That guy needs help. Well, it's the guy's fault, right? So no one's no one's trying to take away baseball bats. You're not going after Louisville Slugger to try and sue him because that was the bat that was used. And you know, and yet with with guns, man, it's just alcohol. Yes, people don't do it with alcohol. Like you know, people. This is this is kind of like we're getting deep into the weeds when we talk about just like. No, we could, because because I always try to ask people because it's really funny because like people ask me like, what do you think about magazine you know capacity restrictions and I'm like I'm not for them at all <laughs> and they're like you don't think like that's five less people that could die I'm like where's your threshold for death dude mm -hmm. like <laughs> like fifteen is bad but ten you're okay with ten yeah. like you know people talk out of both sides of their mouth they're like one is too many <laughs> you know what i mean but then they're like let's cut it from 15 to 10 i'm like okay you're okay with 10 right but like we don't even like somebody goes and gets wasted off johnny walker and then 
drives into a family or a guy going home at night trying to just get home kills that person and it's not we don't we don't like lash out against the alcohol industry you know what i mean but i also think that the alcohol industry did a good job and this is where i'm trying to get the firearms industry of not being the tobacco industry if you yeah. feel me right like yeah. <laughs> like they did a good job of we're sponsoring these programs we're trying to do this and i think that's what we can get the firearms industry we, we can get there if we we start taking charge of this right and saying you know think about the new fad right now is to sue gun manufacturers for their marketing right like right. that's how that's that's how daniel defense is is up on it after uvalde like they're they're starting to find ads where they said like you know pulled your man card or da 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 and they're they're starting to that's the, they, they found the chink in the armor right but like for me, imagine if Daniel Defense in court could be like, you're taking that ad um, and saying that we advertise for that? No, in the box of our gun, we have a, a flyer, the WTTA flyer that, that has resources that tells people, if you're not okay, go here, get yourself checked out. Like these are your resources. We're actually trying to help our consumer, our customer, to never hit that stage, right? Like that, and to me, like that's how we do it, right? Mm. Like that's 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 how we show the rest of the world we're on it like the alcohol industry got on it, right? Like the alcohol industry just sits there now. Like they don't, nobody says, damn them. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, <laughs> it's and, crazy. and I mean, I've, we've, I think I, I talked about it on your, your podcast and I think I've talked about it on other ones where I, I basically say, you know, we're eight years of EMS. I mean, I would run 50 drunk driving DUI calls you know, accidents, um, to one gunshot stabbing call, like cars, cars and alcohol take way more lives than anything else. And not only that, the thing that's so upsetting about that is I, I ran a call where a, a young lady was walking her way to work. A drunk guy jumped the curb, hit her, sent her about, I don't know, 30 yards from where the impact had happened, right? Um, and she was messed up. Like, there were organs that I had to see and push back and inside and all that kind of stuff, right? And uh, uh, this was the, the guy's third DUI. Yeah. So it's a habitual thing, not habitual, habitual thing. Like, this guy, <laughs> this is the third time he's done it. Like, he's... Right. He's not learning his lesson. I don't even think I think actually his his license had been revoked or suspended and taken away, too. So now he's driving without a license. He's driving while intoxicated without a license. The dude's just not learning his lesson. But yet no one no one said, well, why was why was that Ford F-150 going over 60 miles an hour? No one needs to go 60 miles an hour. Right. That's the same argument as saying no one needs 30 rounds. Well, you know what? You don't need a Ferrari that goes 100 mile, 180 miles an hour either. But they still sell them. Yeah. Right. And, and that's that's the crazy part to me as well. Like the fact that like if you have money, you can buy a car that you have no business driving. But like you technically don't need more than one pair of shoes. <laughs> like, <laughs> t technically. Right. Like if I gave you clown shoes and I'm like, look, you wear these to formal events and you could also wear them playing basketball. Like <laughs> Technically, you have shoes on your feet. So I hate the whole like <laughs> you don't need. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't need more than one pair of uh, pants. You don't need a lipstick. We could do this all day. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? And that, you know that's true. So actually, it was funny um, early on in my life. <clears throat> I kind of stopped uh, caring so much about name brand stuff, especially for things with clothes. So like my my junior and senior year of high school, I went through this this phase. So my my freshman and sophomore, you know, you're getting ready for high school, so you're nervous. You got hormones flying everywhere. You're fearful of your your peers, and you want to be cool and stuff. So you got to try and fit in. Whatever clique you find, you see yourself into and that becomes your identity for the rest of your high school career right um so early on it was all about i need american eagle outfitter clothing or i need clothes from at the time it was called miller's outpost and turned into anchor blue like you know if you had those brand names and you fell into a certain click of people and that click would accept you and so you were cool and da 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 and in junior year um you know uh wwe or wwf at the time was in that mm-hmm. attitude era so it was all degeneration next. If you don't like it, you can. We got two words for you. Suck it. You got Stone Cold Steve Austin says, I just whipped your ass. You got The Rock saying, it doesn't matter and all that kind of stuff, right? So I, I adopted this mindset of like, you know what? Yeah, it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't give a damn what you – you don't like me? Cool. I got, I got uh, two words for you. Suck it, you know, or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and what happened was that uh, my, my mom – was getting ready to take me back to school shopping. And so we went to go look for clothes and she was like, so where do you want to get clothes? And I said, well, let's just, let's just go to Walmart real quick and see what they got. Right. Like I don't need anything fancy. So we went there and I bought five pairs of blue dicky pants and uh, three packs of white undershirts. And she was like, well, so what else do you want? And I'm like, I'm good. You know, socks, underwear, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, like every day I would just, and it was, it was comical too, because like I would hang my white undershirts on hangers in my closet <laughs> next to my Dickies. So when you, when you opened my closet, it was literally Dickies, 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 and then white shirt, white shirt, white shirt, white shirt, white shirt. It was, it was awesome. You know, I never once stared at my closet wondering what I was going to wear. I was just like Dickies pants or shirt, put them on, walked out the door. No, right. no thinking, no pressure. And anyone that would be like, dude, weren't you wearing that yesterday? Like, well, no, it's a different pair. I'm not wearing the same things, you know, stuff. So. But like, you're just like, I'm the Homer Simpson of the high school. Yeah. Like I'm in the, I'm like, I just don't <laughs> I care. Blue and a white. Yeah. And, yeah. And if you don't, if you don't like me because of my clothing choice, then great. I don't want you in my life anyway. Cause that's, exactly. that's a bullshit right. reason to think I'm a shitty person. Right. Because I wear, yeah, exactly. You know? And so like, and I, and I also did it from the, from the mindset or the mind uh, mindset of like my, my parents aren't made of money and I don't want to put them in a situation where, you know, they feel like they are not able to provide for me because they couldn't buy me the coolest shoes or in, like that was a shitty mindset for me to be into where like you know how selfish you could be as a child to be like you know, it's almost like when you see some of these videos of like kids being like no i said i wanted the airpod pros these are just the regular airpods what the f-? you know and it's like whoa listen here you little shit how about this right let me take that away from you and now you're gonna go get some skull candies from walmart that are corded now let's see how much you know it's like the fact that that exists is so different than than my mindset when I grew up where I was just like, mom, I don't, I don't need anything from Nike. I don't need anything right. from, you know, it's, it was like, what, what shoes do you want to buy? Well, let's just go. I, I wore skater shoes. That was my preferred shoe, you know, for what I wanted to wear. And I would go and it wasn't like, well, I, I got to get the airwalks or I got to get the Etnies. Or I would just walk up and down and I go, 
hey, these shoes look pretty cool. Vans? All right, awesome. But the price was reasonable, and I liked the look of the shoe. That's good for me. Let's buy, like, two pairs of these so that when the first pair wears out, I've already got a second pair ready to go. You know what I mean? Because of the price. So, like, yeah, it was. Yeah, to be cognizant, that's a that's a good quality to have. I mean, I was, I would, I, you know, growing up with a single mom, like, I had, I was always in touch with her feelings, and she was very emotional. So like, it's because you're a model. Co- <laughs> 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 I did I did, no, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't want to like be a burden. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I like, I feel like she she should have kept some things from me, like making a kid worry about money growing up. Like that's not that's not healthy. You know what I'm saying? Like right. you got to find a good balance. You need to make a kid cognizant of money and spending, but like. You also don't want to make them think that you're, you know, I remember like, this guy, I feel like you should cue the sad music, but I remember like one time, like my mom and I were at Pier 39 in San Francisco and like, she wanted to buy me ice cream and like, she just was crying about money. And like, and I, I remember I was just like, no, it's okay. Like we can't, we can't afford it. You know what I mean? She's like, no, it's, I, I realized like there was a difference between what she was crying about and like the, the, you know, but I'm now thinking that if she buys me like this, at the time, it's probably a dollar twenty-five. You know, ice cream, like we're done. Mm-hmm. We're on the street. You, we don't have enough to survive. Right. You know, so it's just like you got to find a healthy balance. But I think like any kid being cognizant of, you know, I got I have two kids, and one of them, one of them has no idea. <laughs> she does it, and she might be okay, right? Because she, <laughs> the crew she hangs with and the people she's around, the other one's pretty conscious of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But you want to you want to spoil your kids, but you can't. At the same time, you want them to have everything that you may not have had, but then you don't want to create monsters. It's a tough call. Yeah, well, and you know, I think my, my mindset for that is is the idea of I, I do want my children to have more than what I did, um, but I don't want them to expect it to be given to them. Right. So, like, a long time ago when, when my first daughter was coming up, you know, I, I made it a point probably probably around the time she was hitting like eight or nine years old where i stopped the idea of christmas she needs to have 20 presents or 15 presents to open up and one of them's got to be really big i actually started going to the idea of being like how about this um we're my thought process is let's let's find something big to do so one time it was hey we're gonna go up to brian head for three days with some friends i got you ski lessons so we're gonna go up together you're gonna learn how to ski i'm gonna be snowboarding and then you know like the lesson is like three hours long and then the the mountains the rest of the time so we can ride together and i can see what you learned and stuff like it was about investing in experiences that when she grew up were going to be core memories right Mm -hmm. versus yeah i remember my dad got me that power wheels jeep I had fun with it for like three days and then I didn't give a shit about it anymore. You know, like it's just a thing. Right. But, um, we did, I, I took her to our uh, first concert with Garth Brooks, uh, which was one of the first concerts that uh, I got to go to when I was growing up. So I thought that was a cool little parallel that I, you know, we did. So yeah, it, it came to the point of just like understanding, like there's, don't get me wrong. Stuff is cool. I mean, I still want stuff. Don't get me wrong, but I don't need it. Right. So I, you know, <laughs> I try to remind myself like, ah, and, and, you know, it's funny because that, that was something that um, I had. And it's, it goes, I think you have to learn that lesson over and over sometimes because, like, 
you know, I learned early on with clothes, didn't matter. Name brand stuff didn't matter. Just, you know, don't walk out the door naked. The cops won't show up. Problem solved, right? Um, and then I got in the firearms world, and I learned that, like, oh, man, I don't have the right gun. I need a better gun. Nah, my holster is not the right holster. I need a better holster. No, nah, my mag pouches aren't good. My ba- why, why am I not winning nationals yet? I've bought everything that all the top guys are using. Right. Oh, you mean it's a skill thing. Like, I should practice, right? And so that was like with, with, with Arms Corps and Rock Island and me being on the team, it was, you know, I don't shoot a $3,000 custom-built pistol. I don't shoot specialized loads that are tuned specifically to the gun and every single spring. And all. I shoot a Rock Island Armory that's been tuned by the master gunsmiths at Rock Island, a couple few modifications here and there, and I shoot factory ammunition. And I can be fairly competitive with it. I've done fairly well in my career. Um you know, so it, it's just, it's comical how sometimes you just, every now and then you start being like, you start falling into that trap of being like, oh man, I really want that. I, I gotta have that. I gotta have that. And it's like, have and, and want, or, or need and want are two separate things. What do you need versus what do you want is important to know. Yeah, it's the, it, one of the, I always tell this story because like people ask me all the time, like, hey man, what kind of gun should I get? And I'm just like, oh, I hate that question because... <laughs> For me, it's like it's a five second question with a 15 minute answer. Right. And (laughs) and literally, like I always tell people, like, put a put the gun in your hand first, like see if you like the way it feels like that's a good starting point. Right. Like because that's but it's so funny because my very first uh, coming into the industry, my family didn't teach me anything about firearms. Um, which, which was kind of funny, um, because so I was learning on the fly and, um, I remember I went, they sent me to this, this, uh, range and there was like a shoot where all these manufacturers were going. Um, and the, the very first day I walked out on the range and I was watching, um, the, the guy from high point was there. Um, and, and I'm close with those guys now. Like, you know, it's crazy. Like Charlie Brown, the, the owner of MKS is like a mentor of mine, but I think it was Kelly Walton was on the range and um, he was shooting like a high point and it was firing flawlessly. And then in the next bay over, there was this guy from Smith and Wesson and he was, whatever he was shooting was jamming. It was like stove piping and jam. He kept clearing it, clearing it, clearing it. Kelly's over there, pop, pop, pop. Right. And um, if I would have left the industry that day, like if I'd have just left the industry that day and someone was like, Hey, should I get a Smith and Wesson? <laughs> I'd be like, no, get yourself a high point. Like you want to make sure that thing were no, but like, and here's the truth of the matter, right? Like a high point, if you don't have the money, like that works perfectly fine. Right? Like, like, like there are nine, like think about arms cars. There's, there's 1911s out there that like literally you could send someone to, but why? Why do they need, like, if you can buy that, that's great. Like, if you could literally drop, like, 15 to 2K on a, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you could get yourself a perfectly good gun, you know what I mean? Because it's the same quality. It's the same. It's just, it's made less expensive, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because of where it's made and and it's the concept. We have. So it's like with guns, it's like everything. You know, I look at it and I'm just like, some guns are going to have bad days. <laughs> Some guns are going to have a good days. Like you can't just be like, that's a better gun just because it's more expensive. Yeah. You know, but we get that gun stop shit, you yep. know? When, yeah, it's, 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 it's just like shopping for a car. Like, yep. do you, what's your budget and what's the necessity for it? 
um, you know, if if your if your thing is you're buying it for a teenager for him to get to and from high school, then he doesn't need a Lexus. Like he right. he can get away perfectly fine in a used Honda Civic that's got a hundred thousand miles on it. You know, and and you don't mind when they hit a couple of parked cars and maybe back into a light pole or two because it's it's a very inexpensive car, but it get it gets the job done. You know, like if you want a Ferrari because you plan on racing, then cool. There's you know a desire for it. There's a necessity for it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's the way I kind of look at guns too. And then, and then see for me when I talk to people about it, as you know, I I'm I'm very forthcoming about where I stand on firearms as far as when people ask me, hey, is this a good gun? If I think it's a good gun, I'll say yes. I mean, I'll always show them alternatives that Rock Island Army provides. But if someone says, hey, uh, you know, I'm thinking about buying a Smith & Wesson M&P, and I'm like, cool, it's a good gun. It's solid. It's got a good reputation, good after, you know, good price point and all that kind of stuff. It's a, if it's a Glock, yeah, I mean, Christ, like, it's like the AK of handguns, right? Like, it's just, they, they just work and stuff. You know, like, there, there's right. good things out there. Um, but when people come in and say, like, you know, and I know for a fact that they're not a very big gun person. They're not a very... Uh, avid shooter they're not a, a accurate shooter or anything like that and they go like i'm, I'm thinking about buying a you know a, a custom gun or a staccato or something like that it's just kind of like what what's yeah, what what's need? the purpose what for doing? it <laughs> tell, tell yeah. me why you want the staccato you know and when it becomes like well you know i'm thinking about getting competition shooting and that's just a cool gun or this that you know it's like if if your desire to own the gun is because you want to own the gun then save up for it and buy that gun because the fact of the matter is, if I convince you to buy a Rock Island Armory high cap model, right, and you buy it and you put some work into it and you start shooting competition with it and all that kind of stuff, you're always going to still want that staccato. So you're never really going to be happy shooting my Rock Island because deep down, man, I still think I could, I could shoot better or, or have better performance if I had a staccato, right? That's always going to be in the back of your mind. So if that's really your desire, then cool. Go out and buy the gun. But my experience is to say, if you've got a budget of $2,000 and you have the option of buying a $2,000 gun or you have an option of buying an $800 gun and then buying you know $1,200 worth of ammunition to go out and train and practice, I would highly suggest getting the ammunition and training and practicing because we was that are veteran to shooting understand that it's not the arrow it's the indian right so um the, the, on on this so this is another great thing about kind of crossing over into the mental health world and talking to people about firearms it's so funny how like they don't realize like a lot of people think because they've been told that you know you have like um you had Obama one time say that it's easier to buy a gun than it is to buy a book, you know, like, like these, <laughs> these comments that make people think that it's just so easy to get a gun, like from a gun shop and the gun, shoe whatever. Loop, the gun show like, loopholes, a loophole, right. And it's, it's, people don't realize like how expensive this is, mm -hmm. you know, and this is what I love is like when, when you see, and I, and I don't want to just say it's, it's a liberal, like, Democrat thing, but but let's face it, a lot of the laws and, and policies are coming out of the left. Um, and th like in San Jose, right, like they passed a law that says you have to have an insurance like on 
your firearm. Mm. If you're a gun owner, you have to have this insurance, right? right. And uh, it's like, okay, once again, they're just making it like, so we're only rich people could own guns, right? Because someone walking into that shop, they're, even if you go like to what people consider like the cheapest guns, right? Which is your high points and things like that. Like and when I say cheapest, I don't mean like they don't work. Price I'm saying point. just inexpensive price point. You're still dropping close to 300 bucks. Like there's just no way you're getting out of there without 300, 200, maybe 200. If you just bought the firearm, you didn't buy any ammunition or anything to go with it. Like yeah. you really, it's so expensive. And that's what I like. <laughs> like people don't understand. Like, you're putting laws on people that don't they're they're already these aren't the people that you're you want to go after these aren't the people doing what you think they're doing these are people that are investing a lot into this you know and people tend to when they invest money into something they don't want to ruin it yeah <laughs> so it is wild well and, and you know it was, it was comical with seeing um the the people in places like california when the riots and the defund the police stuff was really hot and you know all that kind of stuff was taking place how many people went in to buy firearms because they realized well the cops ain't showing up if i call 911 so i need to defend myself so they walked into a gun store and they said i need a gun i need to be able to protect my family they go okay cool yes here's here's the firearms here's the paperwork all that okay cool we'll see you in 10 days well what do you mean you'll see me in 10 days uh there's a 10-day mandatory grace period you have to you have to go away and in 10 days, we'll call you and you can come pick up the firearm. Like, but, but what happens if something happens? Um, I'm sorry. You know, it's a, what, what kind of stupid law is this? I'm going to assume it's one that you thought was a good idea a few years ago because there's a reason why it still exists. <laughs> right? And right. that yeah. mindset <laughs> shift of like, oh, my God. Like, I'm just trying to defend. I just want to protect myself. It's like, we want you to be able to do that, too. But unfortunately... It's been voted on that uh, you can't do it until after 10 days passes. So, you know, stay vigilant for those 10 days or whatever, right? And then... Right, right, right. Get yourself a spear. And then the idea of, yeah, it's so easy to buy a gun. I, I remember I was listening to some some lady that, uh, you know, some, something on YouTube that popped up, and she was talking about how I'm going to go into this gun store, and I'm going to show you how easy it is to walk out with a firearm, right? And it, it, it God, it irritated me so much because I'm sitting there going like, you, you know why it was easy for you to, to walk in and then walk out with a firearm? It's because you're not a goddamn criminal. Go be a felon right. first and then walk into that gun store and try and buy a gun. I guarantee you it's going to be a hell of a lot harder right. all of a sudden. <laughs> you know, So it's like, yes, it's supposed to be easy when you're a law-abiding citizen that hasn't done anything to, to justify a response from law enforcement. or And it's just this comment. It's so easy to buy a gun. Yeah. If when you're not a criminal, it is because that's the point. You're not a you're not a bad person. We don't you're not intending to do something violent with it. But go go commit a felony first. Yeah, and and nothing screams and nothing screams like privilege to me more than people who are like, you don't need a gun. You know, if something bad happens, I'm calling the police and there's nothing in my house that's not worth giving up. And I'm like, damn, like you you are literally like the example of the thing that you despise because mm -hmm. they always say like privilege what privileged people you know what i mean like and then you're literally sitting there and you're saying you're privileged that you live because i remember the first time and this is actually a really funny story because I, no one in my family uh prepared me no one sat me down when i went to work for my family because i didn't grow up with them i grew up on the the west coast with my mom so when i moved back 
back to Jersey and I, I started working for the company, like no one sat me down and said, hey man, like if someone asks you what you do for a living, if you're at a bar, maybe just lie to them. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, like there are things that aren't worth an argument. And like, no one said that, Hey, this is how naive I was. No one said someone might hate you because of your job. Mm-hmm. Right. So I remember like I was in Columbus, Ohio and um, Columbus, Ohio is obviously where Ohio state is. It was like a college bar. I'm young. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid twenties and, uh, I met some girl at a bar and we were talking for like an hour and a half. Like things were going great, super hot. Like, I'm like, this is, you know, did I find my next wife? You know, like we're sitting there talking and then eventually like she, she asked me, she's like, well, what do you do for a living? Cause you know, she asked me why I was in town. I was like, well, I'm here for work. You know, and she said, like, what do you do for a living? And as soon as I told her that I worked, I was a gun importer and I, I, I worked sales. I was explaining to her what I do complete change in behavior, body language, everything disgusted with me. Right. And this is, this is before like the wokeness we're talking, this is, this is in the two thousands, right? right? Like, um, totally hates me about it. And so we start kind of getting at each other and I'm not taking this as serious as she is. So eventually like I get frustrated and I'm like, honey, you go to Ohio state, you got blue eyes, blonde hair. I'm like, daddy probably pays for school. I was like, you already said you're a part of a sorority. So I know you got some money, right? Because no one's in a fraternity or sorority that doesn't have money. And I said, you are lucky. You don't need a gun, but there are so many people out there. Like imagine if you were from Compton. So she immediately, cause I say from Compton sees this black bouncer walking by and this dude was huge. And she's like, what did you just say? Say it in front of him, say it in front of him. I was just like, yeah, I'm like thinking, oh God, now she's starting drama. But I, I was like, yeah, like I, I work in the gun industry. She doesn't like guns. And I was just saying that some people need their guns because police officers and stuff won't even help certain groups of people. Like I've had literally friends that lived in certain neighborhoods where they were like, if I call the cops, they ain't coming by themselves. They wait until there's like a couple of them then go yeah. right. Like, especially in Vallejo and, 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 really bad places like in Cali and thank God this dude, like he literally turned and he was just like, I don't know where you're from, honey, but I need my gun where I live too. He's right. And he just kept it moving. (laughs) Right. But like that, that was the perfect example. And I'm literally like, so the wedding's off and she's just (laughs) like, I'm done. She walks away, (laughs) but no one ever warned me. You know what I mean? Like they didn't warn me that people could have that feeling. And it's kind of interesting. They have that feeling. They, they're like birds that want to fly south, but don't know why. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, I hate guns, but I really don't know why. I just hate people dying. So I'm going to get emotional about it and not listen and think about it logically. They're, they're, the, fi- <laughs> they're the fish in the school of fish that everyone turned left. So I better turn left. Yeah. Because the fish and that turns like, right is the one that gets eaten, right? <laughs> but... <laughs> right, right? Don't ask questions. Don't try to learn. Don't try to pick somebody's brain. Like, you have somebody right there that you obviously like because you were talking to them for an hour and a half before it went sideways. You know what I mean? Like, change your perspective. And that's that's really what we, we got to do better as the gun community, I think. I think we get a little frustrated, and rightfully so, man, like, to be accused of you know, standing on graves and being baby killers and being told that we celebrate when tragedy happens. You know, I get why people don't want to take the time 
I, it's really easy for me to see why people are just like, probably from my cold dead hands, bitch. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're never going to beat me. Like, that type of thing. But I think we got to do a better job of communicating these things because I do genuinely see a lot of people out there. Uh, I'm not, you know, to me, I'm not, I'm not concerned with getting the anti-gun person to switch over. I think we just got to do better of talking to the middle because the middle is where we have a chance to recruit more people to our side to say like, okay, this is a nuanced conversation. And really what we, it's like when you think of gun violence, right? You think you put, I put it in different pockets. Like you have your suicide, you have obviously like your inner city gang violence. Um, you have your domestic, you know, firearms issues, like with domestic abuse. And then, you, you know, you, you, you have these different ways. Each one of those pockets has a different approach of how you go about solving it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and suicide is the one, once again, to bring it full circle, suicide is the one that the, the gun industry can actually touch and, and, and kind of put their hand on and say like, okay, this is the things that we can do to, to prevent that. You're not, you know, when I was in Aspen and I was on that panel, I'm like, I can't walk into Compton. I can't walk into Chicago and, and tell these groups of people that literally could die for hanging out on their corner to put their guns down or they shouldn't have guns. And you know, my, the panelist that was from Chicago was like nodding. So I'm like, okay, good. We agree on that. Right. Like the messenger is important, but I was like, just because someone is carrying a gun illegally because they use it for survival, doesn't mean that they can't also have access to resources and proper gun training. Right. Like we don't need anybody catching charges. Like this is a far out way of thinking. And I think that they don't think that we can think like that. Right. You know what I mean? I think that, that we're, they think that we're so rigid, but it's like, do you really want to solve the problem? It goes back to your conspiracy theory thing. You know, do you, do you really want to solve the problem? No, you probably don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because solving the, that problem, solving Compton, solving Chicago, it's going to take a long time and a lot of work. You know what I mean? Yep. And politicians usually don't have that time. They need to get you now, you know, yep. put me in power. I got the thing that'll, that'll stop this. It's those damn lawful gun owners, those, those law abiding citizen gun owners that are causing this problem. Yeah. No, I got, gotta love it. Let's just, like I said, just, let's just keep blaming the thing and not the people. And, uh, right. Let's do it for the, kids, the only so. thing that they blame the thing on. Yeah. So. All right, Mike. Well, uh, look, we're, we're coming on to, to close to two hours for this. And uh, not that I'm not having a fun time conversation with you, but, uh, conversing with you, but, um, you know, I'm I'm in the, the the Midwest now, so it's already seven o'clock for me, <laughs> and I know you probably are getting close. Yeah, to no, time I get stuff. it. Man. But uh, what I like to do is I like to kind of round round off these uh, podcasts with uh, just just some fun fast fire questions, um, you know, this or that kind of things, and then uh, afterwards we'll we'll give you a moment to to say any any final words that you have. So with that being said, um, if you had to pick pumpkin pie or apple pie, apple pie, apple pie, okay. Uh, would you rather lift weights or would you rather do cardio? I'd rather do, I'd rather, I'd rather lift weights. You know, I, and I, I feel like there's, it takes this very sick kind of person to say they want to do cardio. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, I know there are those people that, that, you know, they get addicted to running and, and jogging and marathons and stuff and, you know, more power to them. I'm just, I just don't see that never being me. Um, 
the the marathon medals that I have down in my garage are because I worked them in EMS at the medical tent waiting for the runners to finish. And then I just got like some that were left over to say I worked there. But all right. Um, yeah, my... Bowling or mini golf? I'm going to go bowling, even though like my arm, you know, I'm at that age now where just like, I feel like mini golf is safer. <laughs> but bowling, bowling, I just love bowling. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's, bowling is considered a high-risk event for you now. <laughs> it is, man. Getting out of the car is a, a high-risk event for me. <laughs> Boy, I, I hope you've got one of those sit-down showers because st- if you're standing up in a shower, that's like the most dangerous thing you can be doing. It's a killing machine. At my, the warranty on my body is completely expired, by the way. All the – like – First of all, between all the football and all the basketball that I played, like my body's had enough. So I could definitely throw a shoulder out or my elbow bowling. So it is it's a dangerous sport. I'm out there trying to live. <laughs> all right. Now this is uh this is because you know, modeling days and, and West Coast living, I thought this would be a fun question for you is um roller skates or roller blades? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh I gotta go, I, man. I'm just a fan of roller skating. I uh, I don't know what it is. I guess it's just the roller skating rinks that I grew up in, right? I never had roller blades, so I'm a roller skate guy. And then I've also seen like really awesome roller skaters that I respect. You know what I'm saying? There there are some very cool videos out there of people with the old school roller skates yeah. doing some really really cool and wild things. There's also some crazy videos of guys on roller blades doing some stuff that I'm like. I would have never in a hundred years considered trying to do what these guys are doing. Um, but plus the, the, you know, the joke is, you know, what's the hardest thing about rollerblading is coming out to your parents. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, all right. And, and the last question I got for you is uh mansion in the city or cabin in the woods. Mansion in the city. Really? Yeah. Gosh, see, I I told you I didn't even grow up around guns, man. I grew up in cities. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, I think at this point you probably had those in uh, moments where you were had to go somewhere that was a little bit more secluded, a little bit more chill, and and uh, you know maybe on a camping trip or something like that. Really, you'd rather go for a mansion in the city, huh? My idea of camping is a red roof in. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in the middle, like I. <laughs> I, I would rather be anywhere. I know this is going to be like every listener is going to be like, this dude's out of his mind, but I am not an outdoorsy guy. I'm really, <laughs> what? no, I, I, that's I, definitely not for everyone. I think so. What about this? Then how about, yeah. how about a cabin in the city or a mansion in the woods? Let's see if it, let's I'll see if it's the house. That's the, uh, the deal breaker. <laughs> a cabin in the city would be pretty dope, but I could see also, you know, I was watching a movie the other day, and it looked like a big mansion. It was, uh, it was the, um, it was a movie about oxycotton, which we, we didn't even talk about. Like, talk about how many oh, yeah. things that 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 thing kills. But the guy, the guy who ran Purdue, oh yeah, know, yeah, farm, yeah, yeah, like Sackler or whatever his his mansion out in the middle of nowhere looked pretty awesome. So I'm not gonna lie, that does look pretty cool. So would that be a mansion in the woods then? It could be a mansion. So it could be the living arrangement. (laughs) If I got that much money, I can almost bring the city out there. You know what I mean? I can bring my friends and the people. Yeah. (laughs) 
Right on. Well, Mike, at this point, uh, I'd like to give the floor over to you. If there's anything else that you'd like to to uh, hit, you know, uh, people, sponsors, or anything like that, and uh, make sure you 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 know uh, push again the website or places people can reach out and contact you for more mm-hmm. info if they need. And uh, with that being said, the floor is yours. Okay, so uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of us, it's wtta.org or walktalkamerica.org to find out more information, whatever it is. If you want to help, there's di- not everybody has money. Um, we obviously take donations. Not everybody has money. So we actually put on there different ways that you can help our organization that don't don't require a donation, right? So uh, visit that. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, it's at, at walkthetalkus, and it's we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um I, I just want to thank I, I know this is an arms course show so it's but I do I do want the listeners to understand something arms Corps has supported me from day one um, I've had a special relationship with Martin and and the whole gang right um, over at arms Corps, you guys um, but to have a gun company literally like when I presented what I wanted like hey I need you to put this this flyer in the box to have the to have arms corps literally go, this is a great idea. We're going to do it and do it right. Because back then five years ago, it was an unknown. Like we didn't know as gun companies, like if we were doing something that could upset our customers or maybe upset the NRA or NSSF, you know, like it was an unknown thing. So they took a chance on doing that because it's the right thing to do. So I just want to thank arms corps, you know, uh, like I can't thank Arms Corps enough for the support, and it's not just a financial thing. It's just also like believing in everything that I do. So I just want to leave it at that. Like if your listeners are are backing a company, if you go and buy an Arms Corps, you're backing a company that's actually like cares. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and they don't. They're not out there bragging about it. You know what I mean? They just do it. And I think that that's what makes it special. So I appreciate you guys. Well, we appreciate, we appreciate you. Um, not just as a company, I think personally as well, like I said, with, with the experience that I have between the medical side and the firearm side and, and, you know, seeing and, and learning more about what you guys are, are doing and the, the uphill battle that y'all are climbing. Um, it's cool to see someone trying to be a, a fighter for those that maybe are starting to get a little tired of, of having to fight. So, um, again, I, I appreciate you very much for, for taking the time to sit down with me. Um, it's always a pleasure, man. Every, every time we get a chance to sit down and chat, it's, it's a great time. Um, so next time, next time I see you, it'll probably be what shot show, I assume. And, uh, we'll, we'll be sure yeah, to, probably. To, 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 you know, share a drink or two or five, however, or five. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, 100%. But absolutely, man. Thank you guys so much for everything you're doing. And I uh, hope, hope that the the momentum continues to grow and roll and snowball for you because I think it is very important what you guys are doing and what you're trying to t- attack. And it's something that needs to, needs to be addressed for sure. So uh, with that being said, thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you guys found this podcast entertaining, enjoyable, and informative. Uh, it did get deep at times. And then, of course, it, it got light at times. But... Um, Again, we, I just want to take the moment to say thank you so much for listening. Uh, Mike, again, thank you so much for coming on and, and chatting with me. And uh, we will see you on the next episode of Open Action with John McLean, brought to you by Arms Corps Precision. Until then, have a good one.